It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined by a panel of guests to look out to 2021 and to offer their predictions about the Irish economy. IBEC Chief Executive Danny McCoy gives his view on Brexit and what that might mean for Ireland next year. Anne Graham, head of the National Transport Authority, tells me about its ambitious investment programme for public transport, which remains on track in spite of COVID. And Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul discusses how the government might reboot the aviation and tourism sectors, which have been devastated this year by COVID but which are so important to the Irish economy. And much more besides. I began by asking Danny McCoy about Brexit. Now, Danny McCoy, thank you for joining Inside Business. We're recording this programme on the 23rd of December, so there hasn't been a conclusion as yet in the negotiations between the European Union and the UK on the future relationship on this trade agreement that we've been talking about for a long, long time. So let me get your opinion, first of all. In terms of Brexit, deal or no deal? Oh, definitely deal. Um, it may not be the right time. Kind of mindful of um, the old joke where uh, playing all the notes but not in the right order. Um, so the um, the deal is is a definite for both parties. I mean, we we tend to focus in on on the British, you know, not being able to uh, coordinate here, but it's fundamentally important for the EU to have a deal as well, and particularly the the largest part of the EU, Germany. Germany still is very driven by goods trade, um, you know, proportionally more than the services that we'd be exposed to. So the, the notion of, of you know, wanton tariffs effectively uh, would, be, would be a disaster for a German business. So I think even just on that grounds, we will see a deal. Okay, so it sounds like um, you're in accordance then with the British view on, on the, the need uh, from the European Union side and the need from the German side to get a deal. But just paint a picture for us, if you will. Um, let's say it's January 4th and we don't have a deal. What does that look like for Ireland? Yeah, so look, uh, all these um, deadlines have, they've all, they've all could, have been, could have been true, but they've never been credible. Um, and so people act on their beliefs. And so even Michel Barnier um, had been indicating just before Christmas that, you know, it would be right up to the end and maybe beyond. Now, that's a change of the rhetoric. So even if it does get sorted at the start of January, a business won't have had a transition period. And that was promised at the start. There will be two years to get used to the new arrangements, new deals. So we won't expect a two-year window, but there's definitely going to be a period of grace here. 
where uh, people are going to have to bed into the new arrangement. And remember, this is only about goods. We still have services, capital, people to get sorted out. So there's a lot to be done, but much more significantly for Irish business is actually the protocol, the Ireland, Northern Ireland protocol. Um, that actually is a reality, which I don't think the business community have fully internalized, up to and including the fact that uh, in 2025, there's going to be a kind of a mini Brexit point where the Northern Ireland um, will assembly would have to make a decision about to stay with the new arrangements or not and again we might at this point say how could they possibly walk away from something that gives you the best of both worlds well a lot of people have made the same assumption about uh, britain's membership of the eu well, i think that's going to concentrate irish business minds because it's a moment of uncertainty and then as you move back from that uh, even in the years beforehand we need to start to prepare the ground to ensure that whatever the decision is, we get the right decision and know it's, uh, it's important because if, if in what looks like an unlikely event that Northern Ireland will say, no, up with this, we shall not put, uh, we want to be fully in the UK and none of this Schrodinger's cat moment, um, then that creates the whole border issue again. Uh, the integrity of the single market comes back into play. So, so whether there's a deal or no deal, the consequences for Ireland of Brexit uh, is a gift that's going to keep on giving. Danny, let's just talk about COVID. Obviously, uh, a huge impact on the global economy this year and on the Irish economy. Devastating impact uh, in many ways and for a lot of individuals and businesses who uh, simply won't reopen. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, as Michal Martin said yesterday in his speech when he was announcing new lockdown restrictions uh, for the coming weeks. Um are you optimistic uh, around the future uh, for the Irish economy next year? And when, when do you think we might get back to some kind of normalised level? Yeah, well, I suppose, look, I never like to look back, but uh, this time last year, I think on, on the similar show, I, I, would have, I would have predicted that I thought 2020 could be an outstanding year of growth for Ireland. And funnily enough, I kind of am um, still happy with that prediction um, because what we observed this year in 2020 is momentum in the economy has been incredibly strong, much stronger than any other jurisdiction. And it's put the resources into the economy to try to deal with COVID, impartial uh, as it is. But in contrast to what's been happening across the water in the UK, it's been remarkable how we can, you know, just take one measure during the summer, um, we're able to the pandemic unemployment payment offer 350 euros a week to the equivalent welfare payment in the, in, in the north of Ireland of 100 euros a week. You know, a factor of 3.5x there uh, and been able to sustain it. That's coming from the success of the business model. And if you look at the manufacturing base in Ireland, the growth rate there has been enormous, been a spectacular year. So that momentum into the question you actually asked me for 2021, I think it will be an incredibly strong year as well, but this time it'll be driven by the um, consumers, by the households. It's huge pent-up demand. Uh, we're even seeing it around Christmas, um, notwithstanding uh, what happened in the run-up to uh, to this period be just before Christmas, we see that people were locked and loaded and uh, consumer spending will be up quite dramatically in Q4 on other years because very high incomes coming off that business model. So overall positive. One thing to say, I'm not too positive about the um, the vaccine, actually. Um, I think the vaccine is is uh, clearly has to be vaccination is required. And the indicators are, aren't, aren't fast enough. We need pace on the rollout of that vaccine. I think that's the most crucial bit because everything hangs on that, including the return of the office worker, which is part of the kind of, not just about the demand side. The demand side is holding up well from the different channels that we've identified. But culturally for business, 
we need to have that option of having people meeting again. We may not want to use it, but the fact that it's off the table is, is, is a huge problem for 2021. Sure. Now, Michal Martin on this podcast said that he hopes to have the vaccination program substantially completed by late autumn next year. But that's not quick enough, in your opinion. No, it's not quick enough. No, we, we know we'd be able to do it uh, much faster. Look, we, we can, you know, I know it's not the same thing, but like we can vote on a day, uh, mobilize uh, the population. And so are you talking about that the logistics of vaccine rollout are 200 times that type of event? I know it's more, but... 200 times just seems to me to be way too long. Okay, Mark, I could see you nodding in agreement with Danny when he was saying that the pace of this is just too slow uh, and probably a lot of people in the hospitality sector, which has been almost wiped out this year, uh, probably a, a lot of people in that sector uh, would, would want a quicker pace to this vaccination rollout. Well, certainly what they would want is some sort of a vision or structure at this stage as to, as to what the structure for distributing the vaccine will look like. Um, I mean, for example, if you look at a country like Portugal, not a, a completely dissimilar um, type of country and type of society and economy to ours, Immediately after the vaccine got its authorization from the EMA last week, the Portuguese government published a timeline who will get vaccinated and when they will get vaccinated, which, you know, we, we, obviously all the, the different um, and recipients of the vaccine have been categorized here, and but they haven't been told roughly when they'll get it. I mean, they were told that in Portugal last week. They were told you can expect it if you're, you know, between the ages of 65 and, and, and 70 and you have no underlying condition, you can expect it in May or you can expect it in April. Um, so something like that would give a little bit of visibility. But, but, but you, you touched on the term and hospitality industry there and that's obviously one of the industries that's really 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 holding out uh, um, for the vaccine and there's a sort of a, almost a, a paradoxical element to it because in the, the hospitality industry is one of those industries that is capable of delivering the jobs growth and the jobs distribution um, um, required as part of a recovery but the, the paradox is is that um, you can't really stimulate it yet until you get the vaccine rolled out and um, because it's contrary to public health objectives and um, so the tourism and hospitality industry is in a really really difficult spot that could turn into a really good spot really really quickly if if we get a lot of good news in the vaccine but at the moment they're sort of champing at the bit um, but knowing they're not going to be let loose just yet Mark, Michal Martin has talked about rebooting the economy, particularly the hospitality sector. He recognises the challenges that they've, uh, unique challenges that they've faced this year. How does the government reboot that sector of the economy, aviation and tourism? Well, through aviation primarily. I mean, if you think back to the last financial crisis, the tourism recovery was up and running with a straight back two years before the rest of the general economy. It started in 2011 and, and they really used it as the sort of beachhead of the domestic economic recovery plan um, and was to bring in tourism. They've got the same opportunity now. I mean, like last year, before the pandemic arrived, spending by overseas tourists in Ireland was almost 6 billion euros. I mean, that's mo- you know almost a pure export, uh, a pure services export, uh, money injected directly into the economy. Um, and, and that's down by about 80, 85% this year. And all of that spending would have come in January and February. So they've got a lot to make back up again. Um, and one way to stimulate it is to, is to uh, uh, put in place the air routes again. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, sometimes I smile at the hospitality industry when they're lobbying about their 9% VAT rate and they attribute all of the growth in the last crisis, all of the successes that tourism had to that cut to 9%. It wasn't really about that cut to 9%. It was really about all the, about all the aviation routes that opened up and access. And, you know, almost 90%, between 85 and 90% of tourists that arrive in Ireland arrive by air. They don't arrive by ferry and, and they fly in. 
And until the aviation industry is back on its feet and until airlines um, are back reinstating the routes that they previously had, the tourism industry won't recover. Um, so aviation is crucial to it. But they're not going to, but this time around, Ireland isn't going to be the only country whose tourism authorities are out there in the market. Um, trying to t- talk to airlines, trying to get the routes put back in place. They're going to be in competition with every other country in Europe at that stage. Um, so, you know, in, in, in one sense, for low-cost airlines or for airlines that, um, um, you know, route shop um, um, on the basis of subsidies or whatever, it might be a bad time for them over the next year or 18 months in, in the sense that there's going to be an awful lot of governments looking for their business. So to reboot it, the Irish government needs to bring the tourists, to physically get the tourists here. It also needs to keep Ireland's sort of share of voice going. And Tourism Ireland have been working reasonably hard and that they've been spending a lot of money on campaigns. They've got a lot of campaigns ready to go, um, um, uh, advertising campaigns abroad to, to tempt tourists here. But of course, they're waiting for the nod from the public health officials. Um, there has been tension at times um, throughout this pandemic between state tourism officials and state public health officials. I mean, quite early on in the crisis in April or May, um, when tourism officials were talking about how much money they would need um, to to, to reboot Ireland's tourism industry, they were slapped down by public health officials in private and told not to talk about that in public because um, they just didn't want any talk about bringing people to the country. They just they, they, they wanted to focus elsewhere. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the tourism officials in the country, the, 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 the ones who were responsible on behalf of the state for, for sort of putting Ireland's message out there, they were sort of tentatively hoping to, to, to begin a really big advertising campaign in Q2 of next year, so sometime between April and June. I think that looks a little bit optimistic. Optimistic. Um, um, if you look at the growth in virus numbers at the moment, if you look at the threat there from the new variant from the UK, and if that results in quicker growth again, I mean, you can't see the the conversation returning to a sort of a the standpoint that you would need for the tourism industry to really get out there and try and win business back. The public health imperatives will probably still outweigh that um, through Q2. But maybe they'll be able to salvage something out of the summer. Um, but 2021 isn't going to be a year of milk and honey for the tourism industry. And they still term it as a year of survival. 2022 will be their first real proper year of recovery, I think. And Graham, aviation isn't part of the National Transport Authority's uh, remit, but uh, pretty much every other mode of transport is. Um, how has COVID impacted on investment uh, and, and your work? And what's it looking like for 2021? Well, obviously, um, the impact of COVID this year has been quite devastating with our passenger numbers down. We reckon by the year end by about 50% across uh, all our modes. Um, and next year, we obviously want to at least hold on to those numbers, not see them going further down, but also hopefully be able to build up uh, and get the capacity released on our public transport system so that we can actually carry more people. But uh, 2021, actually, just looking forward, is is actually going to be a busy year for public transport investment because um, the three major projects uh, for Dublin, um, Bus Connects and Metrolink and Dart Plus, the first of the Dart Plus projects, will all be going to Onboard Planola um, and commencing the planning process in 2021. So all the investment work and the planning for the major investment uh, as part of the National Development Plan has been ongoing during 2020. And we hope to be, as, as I said, bringing forward planning applications for Bus Connects, for Dart Plus West and for Metrolink in um, in 2021. Are they still on target? Is Metrolink, for example, it's a big, big, uh, big ticket project. Is that still... Is that still on, on target in terms of your, your timelines? Has COVID 
knocked it out of uh, its timelines in any way? Yeah, COVID has impacted on them all because obviously uh, as part of the um, design work, we obviously would do quite a lot of consultation, public consultation. Some of that could not take place earlier in the year. Um, so there has been some delays in that. So the timelines have slipped a bit by between three to six months. Um, but obviously we're now hopefully in a position we're just looking at the preliminary business cases now going to government um, early next year for all of those three projects um, and then moving towards a planning process um, and hopefully in, you know, in 2022 uh, receiving a planning app, uh, permission and then moving forward to construction. So, yep, all on target. We hope to to continue those um, significant um, public transport in, investment projects. Now, the vaccination programme is, is going to begin to be rolled out at the end of this week, essentially. Uh, and if we believe Michal Martin, it's going to take, you know, the guts of nine or 10 months to substantially complete. I'm just wondering in terms of public transport, people using Lewis or using Dublin bus or uh, Dart or whatever it might be, um, what they're going to experience in 2020. How are things going to loosen up, if you like, in the public transport realm in 2020? When are you going to start adding in more capacity? And are we going to get to a point where people won't have to wear masks uh, on public transport? Well, we've already begun to add in capacity. We're probably one of the few uh, countries in the world which have just added capacity into our public transport system in the last uh, month or so as part of the July stimulus package. So we introduced uh, another 24-hour bus service on the 39 uh, in Dublin. Uh, and there's other uh, services being introduced right around the country to add in capacity. We would expect that in 2021, at most, there will be a reduction in the number of people travelling just by the change of people's, um, I suppose, where they're working, where they're uh, going to work from. So we think there's enough capacity, certainly if in next year in our public transport system to deal with the passenger demand. We've also got a number of intercity rail carriages arriving in early 2022 that will increase the capacity there. We've been increasing the Green Line um, tram loose capacity with the introduction of new trams and extending the existing trams. So we have been actually building capacity in 2020, uh, more to come in 2021, with a very significant increase in capacity, obviously, as part of these uh, major uh, infrastructure programmes. But we can always dial up our bus uh, services, the frequency and the capacity on bus a lot easier than we can, certainly on the rail side and the and the light rail side. And if the demand uh, does increase above what we ha- expect in 2020, we will obviously put on additional services um, subject to funding being available. So it's a difficult, going to be a difficult year. It's a difficult f- for us to determine what the demand is going to be next year. Uh, we're obviously starting off the year going into a level five, which reduces our capacity down to 25%. Um, and But hopefully throughout the year, we'll see that capacity building as um, the vaccination is rolled out and as people return to, to public transport. And the masks? Masks. Um, well, again, that'll be a public health you know, uh, decision and got, we, we will obviously follow any guidance in relation to uh, to that. So uh, we would expect that as the, the capacity is increased um, and as the public health and the vaccination rolls out, we would expect that at some stage, you know, the, there won't be a requirement for masks. But that's really a decision for uh, public health, uh, for the CMO and the Department of Health. And we will see what comes out of that. Hopefully, we won't be wearing masks by the end of, of 2021. And with a fair wind at your back, when do you get back to the kind of passenger numbers you saw in 2019? Um, we would see, uh, I suppose, 
two years, about 18 months to two years, we'd hoped to get back to 2019 levels, which were, you know, obviously um, at the highest numbers traveling in, on public transport. But we do think that um, the working from home will have, uh, you know, a long term impact on uh, public transport demand. And that's something we are going to kind of um, do have to figure into what is the ultimate um uh, transport demand, particularly for investment in the in our uh, in those major projects. So we are doing some modelling ourselves and, and on scenarios about what will happen to if a proportion of white collar workers uh, continue to work from home for a period of time for one day, two days, and what that impact will be on transport demand as well. If if a proportion of third level students also continued to um, to have some of their um, their lectures online, so because that has an impact on on what the future travel demand is going to be. So we would be doing sensitivity testing around our modelling for the major projects, uh, based on you know some scenarios around um, a continued work from home for a proportion of of white collar workers and students. At Davy, the best conversations are always more than one way. We know it's even more important to listen. Than it is to talk. It's how we get to know our clients personally by listening to you carefully and understanding what's important to your life, your family, and your future. Then we can talk about a financial life plan that will suit you best. Davy, it's not just business; it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Danny, the government has put the cost of COVID at about 40 billion euro. How are we going to pay for that? And are we looking at higher taxes? Just coming off what Anne said there, I suppose one milestone that was reached, I think during 2020 was the population's probably now touched 5 million in the Republic. I mean, we'll be not having the census, uh, unfortunately, uh, in 2021. But that means that we're a growing population. Um, Obviously, that makes uh, forecasting difficult. But to answer the question you're asking me, it also means more shoulders for the future on any burdens that are put in place right now. The specifics, though, is can we afford it? The answer is yes, because if we if we were looking at what we're looking at as a wealthy society now, we see that in the um, in the statistics we've got about the wealth of households. So you know that really stark one where Irish households have more money on deposit now in our banking system than they have borrowings from the banking system is also replicated when you look at the net wealth position. In other words, taking all those debts into account is that the households are the state. You know, this dichotomy between, oh, the government is borrowing. Yeah, that is the government part of the uh, group accounts here. But the citizens live in the households. The citizens actually are the state as well. And when you look at what's happened during 2020, it's primarily a transfer of resources from one part of the group account into another. Difficulty, of course, as we know in our society, is getting the money back off the Irish households um, and uh, and also the kind of political willingness to uh, seek that. But I, I wouldn't be concerned about the debt position. Um, I think the momentum in the economy is very strong. I think the underlying investment we've seen by the private sector in the last number of years has been gargantuan. Um, and people don't make the investment just for a one-off to throw it in the ground and forget about it. The recurring income, the PNL, the GDP, that will come from that stock, I think, is here for another three or four years. Um, so we have a wind of opportunity to correct the problems we've had um, this year um, and to resume the growth. So if we get a fair wind um, on COVID, um, I'm very confident about the medium-term prospects. And so that sustainability debt isn't an issue. 
Mark, a lot of businesses are just about hanging in there at the minute, small businesses in particular. And if it weren't for the various supports that the government has offered, um, they'd, be, they'd already be gone to the wall. But there is a moment of reckoning coming, isn't there? Because those supports are eventually going to be withdrawn. Uh, we're going to get back to normality. And it's going to be a question of how many businesses are left standing or, or who folds. Um, and there's also a question, I suppose, for the government as to how long they continue to support some of these businesses, businesses that perhaps have no long-term future and should be allowed to fail. So how do, how do you choose what businesses to um, to 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 uh, continue to support and, and which ones do you let fail? I think Gabriel McClough, the governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, touched on this uh, in the middle of the crisis at a time when I think nobody really wanted to hear it. The government certainly didn't want to hear it um, and business lobbying groups and, and businesses didn't want to hear it. But the point that he was making was that uh, at a certain point in time, you're going to have to ask how sensible it is to throw taxpayers' money at businesses that aren't going to survive anyway. Um, and what he was really hinting at, we, he, he was hinting about pubs without naming pubs. Uh, and, and, and he was making the point that some of these businesses were unviable anyway. With long-term social distancing, they'll be unviable into the future. And whilst they're you know, whilst there's a lot of lobbying and a lot of um, uh, sort of wailing and gnashing of teeth in the media about the treatment of these businesses, um, um, you're wasting taxpayers' money supporting them. Um, um, it was uh, it was it was an interesting intervention, but he was probably right. Um, at a certain stage, I mean, if you look at, for example, if you, if you take pubs, I mean, a lot of the talks about pubs these days. Um, before the crisis, long before the pandemic came along, pubs were closing hand over fist in Ireland. We've heard that awful phrase that Ireland is over-pubbed, um, and we've heard it for years. Um, so there's a difficulty there for the government. I mean, talking this week to some of the, the, the bars and restaurants in, 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 in the hospitality sector who've been hit again with the latest uh, level of closures, they were actually saying this week that they were prepared um, to, uh, to close for a longer period of time if the government sort of roughly doubled um, CRSS, the, um, the, the, the scheme whereby they can claim 10% of their turnover um, or 10% of their average weekly turnover uh, for whenever they're closed by restrictions. Um, so, I mean, look, there's always going to be an appetite amongst businesses and small businesses and businesses under pressure for whatever state subsidies or supports they can get. But in, in industries in particular, like the hospitality industry, um, um, they do deserve it. But as, as you know, going back to the point that Gabriel McClough uh, raised, um, some businesses in that sector were never going to survive anyway um, and so there is a kind of a there's a moral hazard or, or a kind of a, a moral question about about the use of taxpayers money to prop these businesses up um, in, in a sense the government is going to have to play God a little bit about which businesses to save and which businesses not to save that's a very very difficult decision um, um, but um, um, no doubt there'll be plenty of pressure placed upon them by the various uh, special interest groups when they're making that decision and uh, and and it'll be interesting to see what sort of uh, uh, what sort of a, 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 an attitude it is comes true for the government. I mean, at one stage, Leo Varadkar essentially made the argument that no business will be left behind. It was shortly after Gabriel McClough came out and said, you can't save every business. And I think what Leo Varadkar said was that, look, we're not ready to give up on any business uh, sectors yet. We'll see how that, uh, uh, if that attitude is still as hard as that uh, next year when they start totting up all the bills and when they start trying to pull away a lot of the supports. Um, um, it'll be it'll be difficult for some industries, and again, probably tourism and hospitality will be the sector of the economy where that conversation is hottest, um, and where there's the most uh, disputes, um, and, and where there's the most issues surrounding it. It's just that one sector of the economy really needs a lot of surgery. Um, uh, tourism and hospitality and travel well, from a policy making perspective um, 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 in terms of the health and the solvency of the operators uh, and in terms of the entire structure of the industry in Ireland um, um, it's an industry that at times over the years doesn't get 
the attention maybe that that, that it deserves uh, or, 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 or that it wants, I suppose. Um, but I think that's that's going to change a lot over the next couple of years. Danny McCoy, is IBEC one of those groups that's pressuring the government to keep all these businesses uh, on life support regardless of of whether they're viable or not? Yeah, I think, um, look, this is this is the same issue in a corporate sense that people have about what's happening in terms of the mortality in others. You know, the view that people will die anyhow. When you look at the age profile, it's just a matter of whether it was with COVID, from COVID. Are they dying because of, in terms of corporate, because of the restrictions or, or is that fundamentally they're unsustainable anyhow? I think that it, whilst we're going through the restrictions, I think it's appropriate that people are, are kept with the opportunity to reopen. What do they reopen to, I think, becomes the defining factor. And some issues, I think, for a lot of businesses is going to be determined at the kitchen table. Uh, lots of families are going to say, can we be in a business that is so precarious um, to the fortunes of pandemics? And so one of the features about the sustainability of businesses is will people work in them? And will they put their livelihood into those businesses given the experience of the last number of years? And I think that's going to be a problem for those exposed sectors, and that includes aviation, will have that problem as well. Lots of people wouldn't cut continents this time last year that aviation wasn't a one-way bet uh, for their livelihoods given the demand and given the increasing middle classes, and suddenly, whoosh, we're into a, a scenario. I think what will come from, from that question is how we engage in our social model um, and the social dialogue aspects of how do we mediate putting in an income continuance model which will reflect around the social welfare system and about employers and employees, PRSI. I think that's the new frontier. I think you'll see a lot more about that in 2021 as to how we finance the state and how we actually give people that security. Because a lot of people suddenly became exposed with high incomes to the fact that 350 euros a week sounds like a lot of money if you're coming from 200 euros a week. And there was, you know, 34% of people had a pay rise from that. But others who are being offered that haven't been on three to four times that um, salary suddenly realize what precariousness is. So I think that one of the lessons coming out of COVID, both for corporate and for the employees, will be have we got a, a future-proofed um, income continuance model, whether that's financed by the state or by employers, is where it needs to be mediated in this social dialogue framework we've been pushing for. And Graham, a lot of companies in the transport sector receive subsidies uh, of one sort or another from the state, the likes of Dublin Bus and Irish Rail and so on, and they're state-owned. But there are a lot of private operators uh, in transport, particularly in the bus sector. And obviously there's the, the whole taxi sector, which has been devastated this year as a result of COVID. What's the future for them in 2021? Well, just uh, if you break them down, so the state operators, um, they're in contract generally with us. So we're in contract with them and the subsidy, the state subsidy pays for those services. So we've been able to retain those services at the level that we ha normally uh, operate with existing uh, or with additional government subsidy um, of another 300 million went into public transport services, subsidised public transport services in 2020. And in terms of the commercial operators who operate a lot of the intercity services, a lot of uh, tourism-based services supporting, uh, I suppose, services from the airport, from from our airports, particularly Dublin Airport. Um, we have been, the government have made funding available this year as well. Uh, and we will have uh, invested about 30 million in the commercial um, bus services and keeping those services operating uh, this year with a similar amount of money uh, set aside already in the budget for next year uh, to keep those uh, services going. Um, 
we expect that we are probably going to have to seek additional funding uh, to keep that going, given that we are going to be starting off the year in a level five restriction, which reduces their capacity down to 25 percent as well. So um, that's going to impact across all those services. So while there is funding available for next year, it's likely that that is going to have to be extended to continue those services going for the year. On the taxi sector, um, obviously huge devastation there um, in terms of uh, of that sector and um, very low demand for, for those services. We probably are going to see a number of drivers and vehicles exiting the, the business and the sector um, over the next year. The general government supports are, are what's kind of put in place for, the, for that sector, but we're also, you know, providing um and can always provide for the sec- for individuals to step out of the sector for a year without any penalty and come back um at a later stage um so put their licenses on kind of pause for a year and uh, we're also um um just going to extend um vehicle age as well because we normally have vehicles up to uh, no no um older than 10 years so that gives another year um uh, of age vehicle age up to 11 years for those um, vehicles that needed to be uh, licensed uh, this year or next year. And then we've also um, reduced our fees, um, a fee um, waiver as well for next year to try and assist the industry as well. So we're doing as much as, as we can as a as a regulator for the SBSV industry, but uh, recognising that it's be, it has been devastated and, and will be uh, next year as well. Sure. What's your sense of how many drivers might actually exit the market? Uh, we not sure at this stage, but we we could see there being a reduction of of at least ten percent, uh, if not more, out of out of the market. So, and given that the market was only really recovering after the last uh, economic crisis, only just beginning to uh, start to grow again, um, we're obviously very concerned about that in terms of uh, access for those services uh, for the future. But um, we would hope that uh, as the economy recovers and as we move through this pandemic, that we begin to see uh, a growth in the SPSV sector again. And that extra funding that you mentioned, how much how much are you going to be looking for? Beyond the 30 million that's uh, available. Um, well, the, the so in total, it costs about 60 million to keep the about six months of services going. Um, so... It would depend on the length. Obviously, we we may need a similar figure again uh, next year, another 60 million on top of the 30 million in that kind of order. Okay, And Anne, can I ask you about your Bus Connects plan? Because it has generated huge controversy and lots of people are going to lose their front gardens and lots of, you know, communities feel they're going to be hollowed out, uh, essentially, to allow for bus corridors. Where Where is that plan at? And has it been tweaked um, to reflect the concerns of the residents groups um, that have really, you know, they've mounted, uh, there, there was huge consultation, huge uh, feedback on your consultation process, probably unprecedented uh, compared to previous ones. Yeah, uh, absolutely unprecedented in terms of the numbers of, of the feedback that we got uh, to that, um, to Bus Connects and the bus, for the bus corridors in particular. Um, but naturally enough, it impacts on all major corridors into the city. So we would have uh, expected to see uh, that level of engagement. And we've been engaged like right through 2020, as we were in 2019, with communities locally, uh, tweaking the corridors, looking to see can we provide alternatives. Uh, and in some cases, we have provided alternatives, which means that we're not impacting on as many gardens and, and roadside trees uh, as we had 
been in the earliest uh, iterations of the project. But it does mean that there is um, an impact more on traffic movements throughout the city. So where we may not widen into a road, we might actually reduce the road to a one way system. So that, you know, is the trade off that I suppose that we have to consider as part of um, of providing priority for public transport and for cycling and walking is is it gardens versus another lane of traffic really that's really what it's come down to so there have been a number of tweaks made in the plans we went out for a third round of public consultation um in quarter 3 around September October uh, and further engagement with communities that's just uh, finished now and we've received the final uh, submissions and we'll make our final uh, tweaks and and hope to go for planning permission then um, in quarter two, quarter three of this year. Danny, does IBEC have a view on, on public transport investment and particularly a project like uh, Bus Connects, which, which will displace a lot of motorists uh, and a, a lot of uh, vehicles and, and potentially cause a lot of disruption in Dublin City? Yeah, I think, look, it's a positive. Um, uh, clearly, you've got to uh, crack some eggs to make an omelette, but clearly for the investment purposes, it's an underpinning of where our society is going. And probably COVID has demonstrated, gave a natural experiment how easily it is to move around in this kind of 10 minute city or whatever amount of minute city that you'd like to uh, call it under under extreme circumstances. But the blended uh, nature of home and work will also create a, a new dynamic, which I think uh, projects like Bus Connects and the investment more generally uh, would be really great to do. In fact, one of the things that surprised me uh, this year, and really hasn't come up, is that with all the technology we have, we're still not actually sharing space or sharing time. You know, the capacity on the buses, uh, even during the different levels, are often a restriction to the movement back to the office. That becomes the kind of pinch point. A lot of people have put the investment into the office environment in terms of the capacity of staff if they wanted to come back to do so. But very often the pinch point is the restrictions on capacity for utilization of transport at particular times. It would, would seem that we could solve a lot of our problems, even going back to the pubs, um, in terms of using the technology to share the space. A lot of restaurants actually have been able to make better business, particularly over the summer, by getting more capacity utilization out of their infrastructure. You know, and go back to what Mark said earlier about the international tourists. When some of them used to sit around a glass of Guinness, listen to the Bowron, when they found the Irish coming in uh, with their wedge of money, uh, it was a lot greater proposition on how you managed to actually get your assets used. So I think the transportation is really fundamental to the capacity utilization of the other private sector assets that are out there. And uh, so be really supportive of that investment and, and that project. Mark, a lot of people have been uh, predicting the demise of the office because of uh, COVID and the pandemic and how our work patterns have changed and uh, working from home and all that. What's your view? Well, I mean, you, you know, look, I just work in an office. Um, um, I don't run one. But when you talk to people who do run offices, I mean, I, I had a conversation recently with, with, with Pat McCann, the chief executive of Delata, who I know um, you've had on this podcast a couple of times about this very topic. And he said, you know, in his company, a lot of the new ideas and the innovations um, and the uh, um, 
um, you know, the sort of that creative, that creative process that you get within business. He said it happens in an office informally with people chatting at a water cooler or or or, or at lunchtime or sitting out in the wall outside the office uh, in in the sun. He says this is the type of thing that his business is really missing. Um, and he was really quite um, adamant about it um, that uh, that he wanted to get people back into the office as quickly as he could. Um, I think this whole, you know, the 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 the. The, the impact of, of 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 people working from home and not going into the office has really felt differently, I think, in different parts of the city. I mean, I know we've spoken before, if you go down around the Silicon Docks part of Dublin, um, I mean, it's, it's you know, for, for, for vast swathes of, of this year, uh, it's been an utter, uh, uh, you know, it's been completely empty. I mean, it's, there's been basically tumbleweeds bouncing down Grand Canal Quay um, at certain times. Uh, uh, so, look... Uh, uh, as an office worker, um, as an individual, as as a journalist who works in the newsroom, I'd love to go back to the office, um, um, because you know, at a personal level, um, um, I miss it. Um, and like everybody else, I think I recognise that the future of work is going to involve some sort of a blend, as Danny mentioned. Um, um, you know, the sort of working from home and, and working in the office aspect to it. Um, but uh, uh, it, it's possibly an issue, maybe for bigger businesses. I would imagine uh, with SMEs and with smaller businesses, I think perhaps they would function better um, with their staff uh, back on the premises. But maybe maybe it depends on the sector that they're in. Um, but it's uh, the one thing that the pandemic has done. It it has really short circuited the whole debate about the future of work in terms of the office. It's made it a lot quicker. It's basically gone straight to the straight to the. It's like picking up a book and going straight to the final chapter. Um, and that's what the pandemic has done with the future of work and how workplaces will be organised. Um, look, no doubt there is clearly a clear government. Um, not a policy yet, but clearly an aspiration that once the pandemic is under control to try and get people back in because it would be better for the retail sector, it would be better for the hospitality sector, um, and it'll be better for trans- for the transport sector um, and because you will boost demand in all those sectors to get people back uh, into the offices uh, in, in the city centre. Um, look, I'm only, I'm only waiting uh, on the day that you tell me, Kieran, I've got to come back into the office and I'll come back in uh, 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 because at the moment I'm sitting here in my bedroom, you probably noticed that somebody's already tried to break into the room uh, from the outside whilst we're chatting um, and the office is the place to be for me, I think. You're doing great work from home, Mark, uh, let me tell you. Um, I'm going to presume, I'm, I'm going to take it as a given that everybody is willing to have the vaccine, that we don't have any anti-vaxxers on the panel uh, if, if we do hold your hand up. So on the basis that you're going to get the vaccine at some point next year, what do you hope to be able to do next year that you weren't able to do this year? Uh, I'll start with you, Anne. Well, go out to restaurants <laughs> and uh, just socialise, really. Um, I've done very little of that and... Uh, and then be able to travel and not just travel abroad, but just travel around the country. Because I, I think when I chose to take my holidays was in September, um, just at the time when we when we went uh, into the county restriction for Dublin. So I, I have ha- hadn't escaped out of Dublin for um, this year for very for very long. So, yeah, just to be able to travel out of the county and see more of Dub- see more of Ireland, see more of the world and to socialise more. That's really the main thing. Danny McCoy? I just like to go to large events, you know, like the All-Ireland. Clearly only to the corporate box to look at the masses, obviously, Kieran, as you know, but it's great to uh, it's great to be able to go to those very large events and not to be worrying. You know, you look you look at them now and go, wow, that was only last year, um, and to see the empty stadia, etc. So uh, being able to congregate in, in large numbers, I think, is the thing I miss most. And Mark? Well, you know, Danny mentioned the All Ireland. As as a Wicklow man, that doesn't really figure too much for me. Um, um events like that. So, where, where what I'd really like to do is, you know, as 
like a lot of people my age, I have um, um, kids of a certain age, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. I'd like them to be able to interact with their grandparents, I think. Um, and I think that's, uh, uh, you know, this upcoming Christmas, for example, my parents would normally be here, but because they're in their late 70s and my mother has an underlying health condition, they're, they're having Christmas dinner alone um, um, in Enniscary whilst, uh, whilst we're here in Dublin. So little things like that. But um, um, and, and as Anne said, uh, uh, the travel aspect uh, I miss as well. I mean, I have to get off this bloody windy, damp rock that we're on. Um, um, you have to get off it a couple of times a year. And look, I can't wait for the vaccine. I mean, hand me down the syringe and I'll inject myself, you know. I mean, if, if Tony Holohan puts it in a shot glass, I will slam it like a tequila. Um, and whatever way you want to give it to me, I'll take it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the quicker, the better. Right. Okay, good. I, I don't think self-administration is, uh, is, is a good way to go, but that's, uh, that's a nice way to finish. I hope all of your, uh, your wishes and your hopes for next year come true. Let's hope the vaccine gets rolled out pretty quickly and we can put this blasted COVID uh, behind us. Uh, I'd just like to offer my thanks to Anne Graham, Danny McCoy and Mark Paul for joining the panel today. Okay, that's it for this year from Inside Business. My thanks to Danny McCoy and Graham and Mark Paul. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support this year. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day over the festive period. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next year, take care, stay safe and Happy New Year. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.